Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. Thanks, team. I was uh, in Portland this week for board meetings with the Petros Network, and it's just amazing to be part of. We've been uh, part of that that, uh, that organization, helping plant churches for 20 years now, and the, the most recent numbers we got um, just updated this week, we've planted over 6,800 churches in that time, helped plant 6,800 churches in that time, yeah. And what that represents, because we're going to places where the gospel has never been preached before, what that means is that over 6 million people, and we've counted them, over 6 million people have heard the gospel for the first time, and 1.4 million of them have given their lives to Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's just unbelievable. And so, yeah, I just want to encourage you to pray about it, do whatever the Lord tells you to do, give however the Lord might have you give, and help us, again, continue to take the gospel to the places where the name of Jesus has never been heard, not for generations. So pretty awesome stuff. Hey, let me begin this morning um, by making a statement. See what you think. And um, yeah, a lot of folks said at the first service, man, I haven't thought about God in this way. So let me just make this statement. See what you guys think. God is the most joyful being in all the universe. Um, I want you to say that with me. Ready? God is the most joyful being in all the universe. Uh, I, I don't know what comes to mind when you first think of God. Um, but for many of us, I don't think it's joy, and that's sad to me. Um, uh, joy, you see, is an attribute of God. It's a part of His nature. It's a part of His character. It's, 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 it's part of God as surely as love is a part of God, or, or peace is a part of God, or holiness is a part of God. It's a part of His identity. God, God dwells in perfect joy. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit live together in everlasting joy, inexpressible joy all the time. Heaven is a dimension that is full of joy. And the Christmas story is really the story of God sort of breaking in from His world into our world to share His joy with us. That's why when the angels announced the good news, it was good news of great joy that would be for all people at the advent of Christ's birth because God himself had come to earth now to share his joy with humanity. And you see, God doesn't dispense joy like, like, you, like you get out of a vending machine. It's not like you go to God in prayer and, you know, sort of hit E1 and joy comes out, right? Or, or, or maybe it gets hung up on the, you know, on the, on the gears up there and you got to shake God in order to get joy to come. No, that's not how it works, right? Right? Joy is something that we experience. It's a byproduct of being in God's presence, Right? Being in God's presence, just like peace, just like love, just like grace. All of these things come with God himself, all right? And, and it can't be experienced apart from him. Yeah, we might be able to experience a bit of happiness from time to time, some form of it, but not joy, not in its true depth, not in its fullness, not without God. And, and that's why another name for Jesus is Emmanuel, which as we've said in the Hebrew, right, means God with us. That's, that's what we've been singing about this morning. And why does God come to be with us? Because he wants us to experience the fullness of his joy, and that requires the fullness of his presence, and the fullness of his presence can only be found in Jesus Christ. Amen? Right? So that's what Christmas is really all about. Now, when you stop to think about it, this makes perfect sense, right? This makes perfect sense. After all, don't we share joy with others in much the same way? I mean, I think of my oldest daughter, Chloe. Chloe moved out to, to L.A. this summer, right? And we are so excited to have her back 
for Christmas, right? Can't wait, right? It's going to be awesome. She's in her first year of teaching high school. She teaches music. She's helping rebuild a program out there at a charter school. She teaches all these kids from places like Crenshaw and Compton and Watts, some of the really economically depressed areas of L.A. She loves doing it. She's doing great. We talk almost every week, all right? And every time we talk, we love hearing her voice, right? And we love seeing her on Google Meet or FaceTime or whatever it is that we, you know, get a chance to see her. But none of that compares to the joy that we're going to experience when she actually shows up. Right? And we get to put our arms around her and we get to hear her voice and, and we get to see her and spend time with her. Again, we can't wait. And I'm sure anybody who's got loved ones or friends who live out of state or, or live in other parts of the world maybe and you don't get an op- often, often an opportunity to see them, you know what I am talking about, right? Joy is being with someone that we love. Joy is also knowing that that person that we love is for us. That they've got our back, that they are in our corner, that they support us. You know, one of the best things I've ever stumbled onto as a, as a dad, and I've stumbled on lots of things over the years, some good, some not so good, but one of the best things I've stumbled onto is I try and text my kids, each of them, once a week. Okay, this, you know, different, different times during the week, and, you know, different parts of the week, whatever. I pray for them in the mornings and I let them know how much I love them and how proud I am of them and what I admired about them and, the, you know, how excited I am for the things that they're involved in, those kinds of things. And as I, as I share that with them and how I'm praying for them, they just get so excited. They just love these little notes along the way. Recently, my, my son Josiah, who's 22, was sharing some of these texts with his friends and, and they also loved it. They told him, it reminded them of when they used to get notes in their lunch boxes when they were little kids, right? And, and, and it makes them feel valued. It makes them feel loved. It makes them feel joy, right? And that's the power of it, right? I've, I've shared this story before. Maybe it's been a bit, so, so it's probably worth us thinking about again as we think about joy this Christmas season. Years ago, now 22 years ago, when Chloe was around two years old, our oldest, uh, I was teaching her to play hide-and-seek, and we lived in this little apartment in Princeton, New Jersey at the time, and so there weren't very many places to hide, frankly, but um, none of that mattered because Chloe had this very unique way of playing the game. You know, I would close my eyes, and I would start counting right to 10, and she'd giggle, and she'd run behind the couch, and, and just as soon as I finished and said, ready or not, here I come, she'd jump out from where she was hiding and say, here I am, Daddy, here I am. Now, like most first-time dads, I was pretty neurotic and clueless, and so I felt the need to correct her, right? And Chloe was our first. I wasn't sure what the heck I was doing. I remember thinking to myself, I'm really blowing it big time here, and if I can't teach her something as simple as like hide and seek, what is going to happen to her? She'll probably be screwed up for life. I'm sure there's some study out there about how if you can't teach your kid to play hide and seek properly, it raises rates for drug abuse and teenage pregnancy, and you know, they can't, they can't learn calculus or something. I was undoing all the work that baby Mozart had done, right? I mean, if you're familiar with that, right? That, that was what I was afraid of, right? So I doubled down, and I pulled her aside, and I told her, you got to stay hidden until I come and find you. And she would look at me with those beautiful brown eyes and kind of nod her head and smile and, okay, I got it, I got it, right? And then I'd start to count again, close my eyes, and she'd giggle some more and run behind the couch. And again, just as soon as I finished, she'd jump back out and say, here I am, Daddy! Here I am. And after more than a few tries at this with little to no impact, um, I learned a couple of things. First of all, Chloe is just going to do whatever Chloe wants to do. And that's kind of been her pattern, right, for even to this day. Um, but secondly, Chloe understood the game of hide-and-seek far better than I did. The joy of the game is in being found, not in staying hidden, right? And friends, the same is true with God. 
On that first Christmas Eve 2,000 years ago, God jumped into our world in the person of Jesus Christ, and he said, here I am. Here I am. And why does he do that? Because he takes great joy in being found. Amen? Yeah. Well, if you've got your Bibles or your Bible apps, and I hope you do, open up to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 10 through 12 with me. Love how the angels describe the good news of great joy that first Christmas Eve night, right? Familiar text if you know the story. Um, they're talking to the shepherds. And so the angels said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now, this is going to be our main text for our Advent season. Um, and over the next four weeks, we're going to be digging deep and unpacking just about every key word uh, in these verses so that we can discover why uh, the birth of Jesus Christ truly is good news of great joy for all people. And, and where I'd like to begin this morning is about a little phrase at the beginning of verse 11 For unto you. For unto you, right? As I said before, Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us. But when we talk about God being with us, we're not just talking about a physical reality. We're not just talking about God coming to be in close proximity with us. That's not what makes this good news. After all, the pagan gods of the first century often came to be with their people, but it wasn't for their good. Or they often came and they would harm them and they would hurt them and they would play tricks on them. And so just because God comes into your life doesn't necessarily mean it's good news, at least not back in, in these days, right? But, but, but so there's got to be something more to the story here. And, and God doesn't just come to be with us, you see. He's actually coming to be for us. He actually comes to be for us. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about God in that way. I think most people, when they think about God, they have this conception that God is generally against them unless they do certain things right to make him happy. But that's actually not the case, not biblically. No, God is for you. And he's, 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 he's been for you from the beginning, right? Since, the, since before the foundations of the world, right? For unto us, the Bible says, a child is born. Unto us a child is born. In other words, he comes to be on our side. He comes to stand with us in the midst of all the hardship and the suffering and the pain of this life. He comes to sit with us in our grief and in our heartbreak. He meets us where we are in our sin and our brokenness, and he extends his grace unto us. That, that's what this is all about. And this has always been true of God, oh, by the way, because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Right, so, so God has always been Emmanuel. He didn't just become Emmanuel at the birth of Jesus. He's always been Emmanuel, always will be Emmanuel, and this is why the advent of Jesus is such good news of great joy. It is God coming into the world to finally and fully reveal himself in all of his majesty, in all of his glory. It is God finally making himself known to us in a way that we can understand, in a way that we can grasp. It is God speaking to us on our level, right, meeting us right where we are in our lives. It is the 
Word of God, the eternal Logos of God, the Son of God, Emmanuel himself taking on flesh and blood and moving into our neighborhood, moving into our world, moving into our lives for unto us. For unto us. As I said, God has always been Emmanuel, always been God with us, always been God for us. In fact, there's never been a time when God's not been Emmanuel. You go all the way back to creation, and, and what do you see? You see God with us. Check out this you know, sort of famous picture from the Sistine Chapel, right? That's where it all began. God and Adam together. Right? Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 6 says that God shows us in Christ from before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. This is amazing when you stop to think about it, right? From before the foundations of the world, before the sun, the moon, the stars, stars were created, before the earth came into being, before the first animal drew its first breath, before the first seed sprouted or the first flower bloomed, before anything that was made was made, God was Emmanuel. God had already chosen us. God had already chosen to be with us, chosen us to be part of His family. And how did God choose us? What was the vehicle through which all this would take place? It was Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, the Logos incarnate. In this way, Jesus, again, has always been incarnate. There was never a time when He wasn't. His incarnation is not just a temporal reality, not just something that happens in space and time and history. No, God lives outside of all of that, right? God lives outside of space and time. It's why we call Him the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And, and through it all, Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is with us. And He's not only with us, again, Jesus is for us. Genesis chapter 3, verses 21 through 24. Way back at the beginning of the Bible, right? This is right after Adam and Eve have sinned. And how does God respond after they've disobeyed Him, after they've been judged for their disobedience? What does God do? Does God throw them out never to, to see them again? Does God tell them to take a hike, jump off a cliff? Leave them to fend for themselves in a now hostile world where death and disease and pain and suffering await the dawning of each new day? Does he abandon them in their sin? No, not at all. Listen to what God does. And the Lord God made for Adam and Eve and his wife, uh, God, the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever in his sin, the Lord God sends him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every which way to guard the tree guard the way to the tree of life. See, the first thing that God does after laying down his judgment is to provide for his wayward children. He makes them clothing. He knows they're about ready to enter a hostile environment. He knows they're going to need protection from the elements that they have unleashed. He knows they're going to need warmth and safety. And so he kills some of the animals that he has made and he covers their nakedness. He covers their shame. What an act of compassion. 
Right? Not only that, but he refuses to let them live forever in their sin. He refuses to let, let them live forever apart from him. He knows that as long as they are in the garden, they are actually in danger. They might stretch out their hand and eat of the tree of life and live eternally in their broken and sinful state. And so what does God do to protect them? He sends them out of the garden. He places an angel at the gate to prevent them from ever coming back in because he will not let sin and death and evil have the final word. He's not going to let the evil one undo all that he has done. He takes action on our behalf. And even in this moment, in the opening pages of the Bible, what do we find? We find a God who is with us, a God who is for us. And if you know the story, you know what happens next. Rather than stay locked up in the garden himself, what does God do? God actually goes into exile with his people. He goes with Adam and Eve and all their descendants. He meets them in this now broken and messed up world. He continues to be with us, continues to be for us, generation after generation after generation, for unto us. For unto us. Uh, fast forward a few millennia to that first Christmas Eve night, and, and, and what do you see? You see God's eternal plan of salvation, God's eternal plan of redemption, God's eternal plan to make all things new and set all things right. It enters its sort of final climactic stage in the birth of Jesus Christ. The God who has always been Emmanuel now makes himself fully known, okay? And, and, it's, and it's beautiful, it's precious. He comes to actually be with us, to hold us in his arms. John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Friends, Jesus was not God's plan B. He was not God's backup. It wasn't God's fail-safe, just in case humanity fell. No, that Jesus was God's plan all along because Jesus has always been Emmanuel. No matter what humanity chose to do, God would always be with us. If Adam and Eve had remained faithful, God would have continued walking and talking with them in the garden in the cool of the day. But since Adam and Eve have sinned and chosen to go their own way, and we've sort of followed right along, right? God goes with us now. He remains with us. And so the birth of Jesus Christ is simply God being who God is. It's not something new. It's simply God revealing himself for whom he has always been and always will be. God, Jesus doesn't represent a change in God. God is unchangeable. Jesus doesn't represent a move in God. God is unmovable. I, he doesn't represent some kind of knee-jerk response in God. No, God is always the one initiating, always the one out in front of us. He's never the one sort of in the back seat responding, okay? I love how the psalmist puts it in Psalm 34, verses 17 through 19. It's a beautiful way of describing this God with us, God for us sort of understanding of who God is. And it's a favorite of ours here at Pepsi, especially in light of all the losses our church family has suffered over the, you know, this last year, especially in recent months. It goes like this, Psalm 34, 17 through 19. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and he delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Now, do you hear the echoes of Emmanuel in those verses? Yeah. 
You should. That's exactly what King David's writing about, right? He knew God was with him. He knew God was for him. He knew no matter where life would take him or no matter, you know, how much life would throw at him, that he was not alone. Why? Because he knew God as Emmanuel, for unto us. God was Emmanuel at creation. God was Emmanuel at redemption. And God will be Emmanuel at the time of restoration. He will be Emmanuel when he comes again, right? This is the great promise of the Christian story. Is that we worship a God who is going to return, friends. Um, it, it didn't just end on a cross. It doesn't just end with Jesus' death for our sins. No, the tomb was empty and the grave has been plundered and death has been defeated. And, and Jesus is, didn't just rise spiritually. He wasn't a ghost or an apparition or anything like that. His resurrection isn't just a metaphor. It's not like his ascension is just an allegory. No, he is Emmanuel, which means he is still and always will be forever God with us. All right, he will bear his resurrection body into all eternity. You and I will get to see the wounds in his hands and in his feet. We will get to hear his voice. We will get to feel his touch, see him smile, feel his embrace. That's what makes the gospel story good news of great joy because Jesus is still Emmanuel. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will never abandon us. He is actually coming back to live with us. That's his promise. He's actually coming back to dwell with us. He is coming back and bringing the new heavens and the new earth with him. Listen to how the apostle John describes it in his vision from Revelation chapter 21. He says this, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. What a promise, right? We will be his people. God himself will be our God. Is there a better description of Emmanuel, right? A better picture of God with us. And not only that, but when Jesus comes again, he comes to, not to condemn, but to comfort. He comes not to destroy, but to make all things new. He comes not just to be with us, but to be for us. And so John's revelation continues. He says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. And death will be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away, and he who is seated on the throne, that's Jesus, by the way, that's Emmanuel, said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these things are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. And to the one who conquers, they will have this heritage. I will be their God, and they will be my children for unto us. Amen? Yeah. That's why we celebrate Christmas, friends. This is why the birth of Jesus is... Such good news of great joy. Well, as we prepare to come to the table this morning, let, let me sort of bring it from the, from the big and, you know, <laughs> on some level kind of abstract all the way down to the personal, right? To your life, to my life today. The birth of Jesus is good news of great joy for all people. But here's the thing, for this to move the needle in my life, it's got to be good news to me. 
think it was Martin Luther who once said, you know, it's not enough that Jesus has died for the sins of the world. It's not enough to believe that. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You've got to believe he died for you. And the same is true here with Emmanuel, friends. There's not a single moment in all eternity when God has not been with you. When God has not been for you. Before you were ever conceived, God set his heart on you. God took great joy in you, friends. God wanted to be near you. Do you understand that, right? That this is what God desires for a relationship with you, you personally. And he's been looking forward to this from eternity, waiting for the day when you and I would invite him in, when we would invite him into our lives and say, yes, come and be Emmanuel for me. Not just Emmanuel for us, but for me. Come be with me. Come be for me. Right? From the very moment you were conceived, friends, the Bible says that God shaped and formed you in your mother's womb. With his very own hands, he fashioned you. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. Your birth was a supernatural event where there was joy in heaven when you arrived on the scene. There will be, never be another like you in all creation. You are a living, breathing miracle, and God takes great delight in you, friends. He smiles when he thinks of you, and this should make you be filled with great joy, right? I mean, and, and that should actually show like on our faces, like on a Sunday when I'm preaching or something like that, right? I mean, thank you. I mean, sometimes we look like we're being baptized in lemon juice, I think. But anyway, so, yeah, I, I mean, this should fill us with great joy. We are loved by the God of the universe. Loves us so much, he crossed the heavens to come to earth to be with us. And the really great news is he's coming again. He's coming again to rescue us. He's coming again to deliver us. He's coming again to, to save us. And he is even now preparing a place for us to be with him in glory. He has plans to spend eternity with you. He's got plans. So amazing, this God that we worship and adore. And if, friends, if you're here today and you don't know that God loves you, or you doubt that God loves you, or you're not sure about God's love, or you don't think you're worthy of God's love, then I want you to know this morning this good news of great joy is for you. For unto you is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Unto you God has come all the way from heaven. Unto you God has come not to condemn you but to save you. Unto you God has come to share his great joy with you. The joy of heaven. The joy of the Trinity. The joy of eternity. Unto you God has come and all you need to do is receive him. All you need to do is believe him. All you need to do is trust him. That's his invitation this morning. That's the invitation he makes to the table. He's got a seat with your name on it. In fact, he, he put your name on that seat way back in eternity. And he has been waiting for the day when you would come home and you would join him around this table. You would join him for the feast. You know, God's great desire is that his whole family would be present at the meal. Amen? And that includes you. And that includes me. 
Friends, God loves you with an everlasting love. And I don't care what background you came from. I don't care how you walked in this morning. I don't care what it is you're dealing with today or wrestling with. God loves you with an everlasting love, a love that will never fail. The Bible says that God's love hopes all things, believes all things, endures all things. It never, ever fails. That's the love that God has for you. That's the love that's going to sustain you for all eternity. And that's the love that God showed us in Jesus Christ. So as Jesus sat at that table all those years ago with his disciples, middle of the meal, wanting to share this great love with them, wanting them to know how much they were loved, what does Jesus do? He takes up a loaf of bread in the middle of the meal, and he blesses it, and he breaks it, and he gives it to his disciples, and he says, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. What does he want them to remember? He wants them to remember that he is with them always, even to the end of the age, that he is for them always, even to the end of the age. And then after supper, Jesus takes up the cup, and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink of it, I want you to remember me. I want you to remember what I've done for you. And the Apostle Paul says, every time we eat the bread and every time we drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's saving death until he comes again. We proclaim Emmanuel. Friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So we're, our, our kids are going to come in and join us, and I'm going to ask our elders to come forward who are serving. If you're new with us at Pepsi, um, just a couple of words about how we do communion. First of all, again, this is a table for believers. And so if that's not, if you're not there yet, that's okay. We want you to know this is an okay place to, to acknowledge that. All of us are on the journey somewhere, and we'd encourage you to, to let the elements pass you by. But if you are a believer here, then this meal is for you. This is not a Pepsi's table. It's not my table. It's not a Presbyterian table. It is a table for everyone who names the name of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and you are invited to come. We have got uh, stations set up. You're going to have gluten-free on either side of the outside aisles, and then you're going to have three stations here in the middle that have matzo crackers and, and grape juice, and we just encourage you to come as you feel led. We don't get up by rows or anything like that. We come as we feel led by the Lord, and um, where our handbells are going to be playing as we do that. And we just encourage you, take some time, really receive, bask, just, just, just rest in the great love and the great joy that God has for you, friends. Again, come, receive what he has for you, the gifts of God. Amen.